What is the darkest thing you have ever experienced? Um, not metaphorically dark or spiritually dark, but physically dark. For me, it was the Lava River Cave just south of Bend, Oregon. Um, our family needed to get out of town. <laughs> so at the end of May, we decided to go out to Central Oregon uh, for the weekend. We went to Newberry Crater, tromped up the big obsidian flow. It snowed up there. Um, Lava Butte, which is this um, 509 foot prominence of a cinder cone. Um, of course, we went to the High Desert Museum and the Lava River Cave, which is this massive lava tube that was formed about 80,000 years ago. Um, Rachel, show picture number one. Yeah. Okay. So there's Krista and Simon and Cora at the mouth, at the entrance of the cave. And this cave is about a mile long. And actually it goes underneath US Highway 97. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, uh, photo number two. Okay, good. Um, at about 20 or 30 yards uh, past the entrance, we saw these large ice crystals and you could feel the temperature drop. Inside, it's a constant 42 degrees Fahrenheit. And in the past, we learned, it was used as a meat locker uh, because of its cool temperatures. And archaeologists um, have discovered flakes of obsidian from flint napping in there, you know, making arrowheads. So native peoples have known about and used this cave for eons. Okay, you can take down photo two. We went down into the cave with our lanterns and our jackets. Well, some of you know, um, I enjoy photography. So at one part, um, I went ahead of our family uh, because I wanted to see if I could get a family photo of us inside the cave. So I put my stuff down, um, set up the tripod and waited. And since I didn't want to run down the battery, I turned off my light. And boy, was it dark. Ah, I mean, inky, pitch, black, dark. Like I could not see my own hand in front of my nose dark. It was infinitely black. Well, after a while, I heard the chatter of my family coming around, getting closer. And I told them to line up against the cave wall uh, to get a photo. Now, this is in utter darkness. And I didn't want to use a flash. So in order to get the picture, I had to leave the shutter on the camera open for a while and then paint them with light. So Rachel, 
Photo three. All right. Here's the shot I got. You can see us all standing up there. Now, you know, it's not your professional Owen Mills type of family portrait, but I tell you, it was a lot more fun than one of those. All right, you can take that picture down. Thanks. The light that I used to get that picture um, provided the contrast to the darkness in the cave and allowed me to get the photo. Contrast is what makes bright things seem bright and dark things seem dark. Well, this summer we are reading through the book of Philippians and the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Christian converts in Philippi roughly 30 years after Jesus lived. Now, back in the day, Philippi was a hill town overlooking the coastal plain in southern Greece. And apparently, there, the area had gold because a couple of hundred years before, the father of Alexander the Great, Philip II, from whence it's named, fortified a, the small settlement there to control the gold mines. And in the year 42 BCE, Philippi was the site of the, de, of the decisive Roman battle in which Mark Antony and Octavius, who would later become Augustus, Emperor Augustus, um, defeated Brutus and Cassius, who were the leading assassins of Julius Caesar. So if any of these names are familiar to you, it's probably because you had to read Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, in high school. So that's some of the historical drama of the area. Now, fast forward a couple of decades from the time of that battle to the time of Paul. Nero is now the Roman emperor. And Paul is writing to Christian converts in Philippi, urging them to avoid rivalry and to cultivate humility. Philippians is meant to unify the early Christian converts, and Paul cites Jesus' behavior as a model to emulate. In our text today, Paul is suggesting that Christians shine like stars by living in contrast to the world around them. He says, he writes, do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. I love the image of stars shining in the darkness of night. You know, Paul wrote this letter when he was in jail. And I can't help but wonder if he may have been experiencing extensive 
physical darkness in prison. He may have also been experiencing the loss of his eyesight, as many biblical scholars believe. Because Paul was in prison, and because he may have been going blind, I want to think that perhaps Paul was aware of contrasts more than one ordinarily might be. While he was likely aware of the contrast of physical darkness, he was also aware of the contrast of spiritual bleakness, too. And the theme of light and darkness is well known in many faith and spiritual traditions, as well as in the Bible. I mean, right from the get-go in Genesis, God says, let there be light. And seeing that the light was good, God separated the light from the darkness. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then, of course, in the Gospel of John, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The theme of light and darkness continues to be a rich metaphor to describe spiritual paths and the Christian journey. We're quick to equate light with goodness and dark with badness. Culturally, that is how we make sense of reality. We tend to see things in black and white terms. I mean, think of how we portray good and evil in movies. There's Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. The hero always seems to wear white, and the villain is clad in black. It's easier to see things in black and white terms. It's easier to see things as all good or all bad. Just think of the current divisions our country experiences, deep political divides, the split between rural and urban, Black Lives Matter and white cultural supremacy, all against the backdrop of a pandemic and growing tensions among vaccinated and unvaccinated. We all want to be right. We all want to live in perfect light, so to speak. And this is okay because our ego, that part of ourselves that wants to be significant and important, wants to think well of itself. It's a very natural thing to do. I want to go back to the word contrast. Contrast is what makes bright things seem bright and dark things seem dark. Spiritual leaders, including Paul, use contrast to help us notice things. Seeing contrasts, noticing them, are what helps us know what to pay attention to. And Paul suggests that Christians live in contrast to the world around them by shining like stars. Now, when I think of contrasts, sometimes the word paradox comes to mind. A paradox is something that combines 
contradictory features or qualities. It combines two seemingly opposite sides like north and south or light and dark. The thing about paradoxes, about contrast really, is that both sides, as much as they are opposed to each other, need each other. They depend on each other. Here's an example. It's a contrast analogy about the physics of how stars shine, okay? Stars function through the contrast between intense gravity pushing inward, nuclear fusion, right? Leading to intense energy pushing outward, propelling radiation and light out of the star's core. It's the contrast between the two opposing yet combined forces that makes life on earth possible. How cool is that? God created both forces. Contrast is what makes life possible. Contrast is what brings depth to our experience. You know, when I was in that lava cave, what I noticed was the contrast between light and dark. But there was something else happening in there in silence. Subtly that allowed me to see those contrasts. That something was the shadows. Shadows are where there is a mix of light and dark. And the cave was full of them. I love shadows. I find them intriguing. The thing about shadows is that they are always influential, if not always obvious. There are physical shadows, like the ones visible in the cave. There are also other types of shadows, psychological shadows, sociological shadows, spiritual shadows. These are the shadows that bring depth to our experience, that make us complex. And each of us have shadows. Our shadow self is any part of ourselves or our institutions that we try to hide or deny because it seems socially unacceptable. The thing about shadows is that they are always influential, if not always obvious. You know, I said we all want to live in perfect light. We all want to be right because our egos want to think well of themselves. <laughs> what God really wants from us is honesty and humility. And this honesty and humility most often comes to us 
in the form of shadows. Jesus understands this. That's why he tells the stories of the prodigal son or the tax collector and the Pharisee. In each story, the one who did wrong ends up being right simply because he is honest and humble about it. The one who did wrong ends up being right because they paid attention to their shadow. The one who is formally right ends up being terribly wrong because he is proud of his own performance. How have we been able to miss that important point? I suspect it is because the ego wants to think well of itself and deny any shadow material. After all, only the soul knows we grow best in the shadowlands. I think Western civilization overall has failed to teach us how to carry the shadow side. Our culture does not teach us how to carry the Paschal mystery with its suffering, death, and resurrection within ourselves. And now it's coming back to haunt us. I think many Christians have little ability to carry the shadow side of ourselves or of the church or of history or of reality itself. It is much easier to see things as all good or all bad rather than both crucified and resurrected at the same time as Christ is. Most of us, it seems, if we're honest, including myself, are trying to avoid the mystery in human life, the mystery of suffering, death, and new life, instead of learning how to carry it patiently, as Jesus did. There is encouragement, however. There is a way of learning to carry the mystery in human life, though it may not look recognizable for years to come. Mary Oliver, the well-known poet, said, Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. The book of Philippians is part of this gift, part of this encouragement. Philippians is about joy, not of a cheap, convenient joy, but of joy as an inherent part of suffering. Joy also has a shadow. Sorrow. Joy and sorrow are linked. They are paradoxes that belong together. A long time ago, a woman asked the Lebanese poet, 
Khalil Gibran to speak about joy and sorrow. He answered her, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. You know, so much of the Christian life, the Christian journey is about the passion to understand the mystery in human life, to embrace the paradox of joy and sorrow, the paradox of being both crucified and resurrected at the same time. The word passion literally means the suffering of reality. It is Christ's passion that will save the world when we are willing to join him in that pattern. Redemptive suffering instead of redemptive violence is the Jesus way. Patients come from our attempts to hold together an always mixed reality, not from expecting or demanding a perfect reality. The Christian life is the interplay between inner transformation, which includes noticing our shadow and outer witness. Grateful people, joyous people, emerge in a world rightly defined where even shadows are no surprise, but in fact, opportunity for compassion and forgiveness. You know, perhaps that is what Paul means when he writes, we should shine like stars. Carrying the mystery of shadows, of suffering, death, and resurrection within ourselves. That is the contrast Paul is calling us to live. It's the passion of living as both crucified and resurrected at the same time. And so we need conflicts, relationship difficulties, moral failures, defeats to our grandiosity, even seeming enemies, or we will have no way to ever spot or track our shadow self. They are our necessary mirrors. And even then, we usually catch it out of the corner of our eye in a graced insight and those gifted moments of inner freedom. May God grant us the grace, the patience, and the courage to receive the gift of the Shadowlands. Amen.